Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. All right. So good to see y'all. Yes. So great to see everybody tonight. Uh, I wanted to, when I, was, when I was driving up here tonight, I thought, you know, this will be a great test to see how well our banner in our little sandwich board does at getting like, like brand new people, maybe out of town people. I thought, man, if I see any like really puffy, like neon striped jackets, I'll know that our sandwich board worked on hill climb folks. And so you either took that off as you came in or... Okay. Uh, also, uh, there's a great Connect card. Uh, Matt mentioned this earlier. If you are new and you're visiting with us for the first time, we'd love it if you just took just a moment and filled out any information that you would like us to know. And as we go on through the service, there's a, there's a place on the back that says, God did something awesome today. Uh, maybe, maybe he was working on your heart uh, during worship. If there's anything on the back that you'd like us to know, uh, just write that in. And then there's even uh, a place on the back if you have a prayer request or something like that. You can fill that out and drop it in the bucket as it comes around. Sound good, everybody? Yeah. All right, good. Uh, just before we get into the message, uh, I want to share with you really quickly about um, uh, this week on Thursday night, we had our, I guess technically you would call it our second Meet the Tribe dinner, and man, it was an awesome time. I really had no idea like how much fun it was going to be. Our Meet the Tribe dinner is kind of, it's like the first step on the journey to like becoming a tribe member, and last week I talked about how uh, if you think of this community of people like, uh, like a, a boat on the river, some people climb on the boat on the river and they just want to like sit back and catch the rays and enjoy the ride down the river. That's great. Glad, glad that you're on the boat. I'm looking for people that are willing to step on the boat and put a paddle in their hands and put that paddle in the water so we can work together to make the name of Jesus famous. And at our Meet the Tribe dinner, everybody who uh, was at the Meet the Tribe dinner uh, said, yes, put a paddle in my hand, sign me up, I'm in. And so we're so excited about that. And I just got to brag on our team that pulled off the Meet the Tribe dinner. They were amazing. Like Chef Bo right there in the center, we got to give him a hand. I mean, you're clapping now out of faith. Just wait until you taste what he cooks up for you because all of you are, are invited to the next Meet the Tribe dinner. We're going to have multiple ones. We can't do one Meet the Tribe dinner for all y'all, but uh, the next one's going to be right after spring break. You can, you can set it up there. Um, we had uh, Amanda, who was our MC. We had desserts from Addie, Addie Cakes, which were incredible. Christine Schuler. Oh, there's that dessert. Oh, my goodness. Woo! I mean, her desserts are literally world famous. And like, we all got a slice, one slice, but it was uh, amazing. Uh, Christine Schuler pulled it off, the, the Whitmires hosted, and it was so cool to see the, the, the broad skill set. Amanda, our hostess and MC, shy as ever. Um, 
It was so great to see the different volunteers that were working together to pull off this event. They all had a unique skill set. Everybody stayed in their lane. But when it, when it came together, just like Ben was saying, you all have a place to plug in here. And I, I, I think I got the most out of the Meet the Tribe dinner. Um, and it was just a, a wonderful time. Keep your eyes open for an announcement. We're going to do another Meet the Tribe dinner. Uh, we'll probably let y'all know the date right after spring break, but you can go online to tribejh.com and sign up for that. Sound good? Yes. All right. Uh, here's the next thing. Let's get into the word together. Y'all ready? If you have a Bible with you this evening, would you turn to the book of Exodus? Genesis, Exodus. Should be easy to find. You might even get there before somebody else's page loads to that same chapter. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. And while you're turning to Exodus chapter 12, I got to tell you that March 31st, so next weekend, is the beginning of the Jewish celebration of Passover. And what I'd like to do tonight is go back several thousand years in history and look at the origins of this feast called Passover and examine some particular aspects of this feast and examine and look at how does it apply to us in our day. I mean, this is what Christians call the Passion Week. Uh, This is known as Palm Sunday specifically when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on, on the back of a donkey, and people cut down palm fronds and, they, and their coats, and they laid it down, and they shouted, Hosanna. And have you ever wondered, was it a coincidence how hundreds, if not thousands of people happened to be carrying palm fronds at that time? Was there like a, you know, like, like a two-for-one blue light special at Kmart, and everybody just happened to be walking home with palm fronds? How did all the, where did all these palm fronds come from that were laid on the path for Jesus? I'm glad you asked, but you're going to have to hold on to that question because we got we to gotta rewind the tape back even further. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 12, and I want to read a passage to you uh, beginning in verse 11. Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to start in verse 11. And as we look at verse 11, you'll see that that verse begins in quotation marks. So that means somebody is speaking. It would be important for you to know exactly who is speaking. Does anybody know who? It is the Lord that is speaking. This is a direct quote from God, and we have it here in the Word. And he's giving some instructions. Verse 11 says this, These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, On that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Verse 13. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign. Underline that part in your Bible. Marking the house where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here's, many of you are familiar, you don't even have to go to church for a long time to to remember the story of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt and how with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm, God rescued the nation of Israel. And he picked the most unlikely character 
to be the hero in this story. God could have done it all on his own, but he chose to pick a man named Moses, a guy that wasn't perfect, a guy that had messed up, a guy that was the least qualified for the job. He was actually perfectly qualified to be used by God. Anybody in here that ever thinks that they could never do anything significant for God, you don't know who God is. If you think that you've messed up, if you think that you've blown it, if you think that there's been something in your life that has disqualified you from being used by God, then you don't know who my God is. Because my God specializes and loves to use the most unlikely person to bring about the most extraordinary results. And when you look at the story of Moses and the Exodus, you'll find that God used Moses to warn Pharaoh. Pharaoh, you got to, let me give you a quick heads up. Before things just go all to pieces, I had to choose my words carefully, I passed. Before things go all to pieces, look, dude, you've got to let the nation of Israel go. Here's fair warning, fair warning. You may think like, man, is, 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 is God being really harsh when he says, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Like, whoa, like, dude. Well, you got to understand that that. God had used Moses to speak to Pharaoh personally long before any calamity ever befell uh, Egypt. And God was telling Pharaoh, you've got to let the nation of Israel go. But he hardened his heart. He didn't listen and he didn't obey. And, and then Moses says, all right, it's about to go down. And then we see all of these different plagues that struck the nation of Egypt. And finally, the last plague, God said, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be the worst. This is going to be the most severe. I have given him time to repent, and yet he f- refuses to repent. I have given him opportunity and opportunity after opportunity to soften his heart and to listen and to ask for forgiveness. And I would have, who knows what he would have done. But Pharaoh was recalcitrant. He was prideful and he was stubborn. And he thought that he was bigger than anything that God could throw at him. Until this last plague. And the last plague cost Pharaoh and all of the nation of Egypt a lot. Isn't it interesting that one man's disobedience cost an entire community of people? And we see in this story that I just read to you, this portion of the story, that God made a provision for the people living in the land. And he said, there is a, there's calamity coming, but you can be saved if you follow these instructions. And it involved the sacrifice of a lamb, preparing of a meal and taking the blood of the lamb and putting it over the doorpost and hastily gathering all of your things because, because how many of you know that sometimes it takes the Lord a long time to act suddenly? And when he acted suddenly, he even said, you need to have your walking stick in your hand because when I say go, things are gonna unfold rapidly. But if you look at this festival or feast, you'll see that the centerpiece, the centerpiece of the whole festival, the whole feast that God said, I want you to celebrate year after year after year as a memorial for what I did for you, 
The centerpiece of the whole festival was this lamb. The lamb was the focal point of the feast. And I I want you to write this down if if you're taking notes. At the top of your notes, I want you to write down the title of tonight's message. Jesus is the door of life. That's the title of tonight's message. And we're going to look at four amazing facets of this festival that, that unfolded for thousands and thousands of years, generation after generation. It was, a, it was a foreshadow. It was a dress rehearsal. It was practicing for what we know today. But I want to share with you four amazing facets of this festival and how it can relate to us today. The first one is this, is that it was always the job of the high priest to select the Passover lamb. So we have the exodus that that happened a a long time ago. I want us to fast forward in our imagination to the time of Jesus, 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, it was the tradition that the high priest of the temple was the one appointed to select the Passover lamb. And if you don't know this about where you would go to the Passover, to select the Passover lamb, the high priest would leave Jerusalem and he would walk several miles down the road to a town called Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is where they raised large flocks of sheep that were, historians believe, the main sheep and goats that were used, those herds were used in temple sacrifice just down the road in Jerusalem. So the high priest would leave Jerusalem, he would walk several miles down the road to the town of Bethlehem, and there the shepherds had presented him with a selection of what they thought were the, the, the finest lambs. Now there was a specific criteria for selecting the lamb. The lamb had to be a male, it had to be one years old, and the Bible says he had to be without spot or blemish. And here's what that, here's what that means. The priest would look for the perfect lamb. No, no skin disease. He would pull back the fur and look at the skin. The hide and the, and, uh, and, and the wool had to be perfect. He would pull back the, the sheep. He would open up the sheep's mouth and look in his mouth to make sure there was, you know, no gum disease, make sure he'd have been like flossing and brushing his teeth regularly. Looked at, he would take his hooves. That was my son I was looking at. He would take his hooves and he would look at his hooves and the, and the, paws of, uh, the, the bottom of his feet. He would, from head to toe, the priest would look over the lamb. And then once he made his selection, once he made his selection, he would take that lamb and he would bring it back into Jerusalem. And it just so happens that all of the people in Jerusalem would be eagerly expecting and anticipating the arrival of the lamb, the Passover lamb that had been selected by the high priest that was for the entire nation of Israel. And I wonder what they were waving in their hands, waiting for this Passover lamb to come with. Palm fronds. And it was a tradition. Here's the second thing that's that's an interesting facet of this festival. When the lamb was selected by the high priest in Bethlehem and brought back to Jerusalem, he would be tied up at the entrance to the temple for four days for anyone and everyone to come and inspect the lamb. The lamb was basically on trial for four days. He was out 
in the public, tied up to the entrance of the temple, where anyone could come up and look at his ears and look at his fur and whatever they wanted. The, the, he was open for scrutinization for all of the people. Here's the third thing. After four days of inspection, if the priest could not find any spot or blemish with the lamb, and nor could anyone else, if anyone has reason here to object to, does that sound familiar? He would say, worthy is the lamb. The people would throw up a great shout and a cheer, and then the priests would go over, and he would wash, he, he would, he would wash his hands, and then well, okay. first he would say, worthy is the lamb. He would untie the lamb. He would hand it over to the other temple priests so that it could be sacrificed, and then he would wash his hands. And then here's the, the next interesting thing. The blood of the lamb was collected from the sacrifice, and some of it was applied to various places in the temple. And just as the priest was doing this for the temple, for the, the sins of the nation of Israel, each household was commanded to sacrifice their own lamb and to take some of that blood from the lamb and put it on the side portions and the crossbar of the door frame of their home. And that's where we get the term Passover. That the, the Bible says that God sent the angel of death throughout that whole region. And he was to touch the firstborn male uh, or the firstborn of the livestock of, of that whole region. But wherever the angel of death saw the doorpost marked with blood, it was an impenetrable barrier that the angel of death could not cross and would not go over. And he would pass over that home and, and to touch another home. Does that make sense, y'all? What does this mean for us today? Today, nobody is spreading the blood of a sheep or a goat over the doorposts of their home. That would you'd probably break some sort of health laws. Be really weird for your neighbors. What are you doing? Oh, Passover's coming. How you doing? Be a little weird. And it's completely unnecessary. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Would you write this verse down? It's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20 says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as our ransom long before the world began. And now, in these last days, he has revealed it for your sake. So I put several dots on the map about, about what would happen in the days of Jesus and in the Old Testament. Now, I want to go back to those same points and let's connect some dots. You know that the Bible says that 
tradition tells us that it was the high priest that would select the lamb. He would go to Jerusalem and select the lamb. Does anybody know where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. I just, I, I wish I could see the light bulbs like, so maybe some of them could be like, trying to flicker. All right, come on, it's all right, it's all right, you'll get there. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But now, was Jesus ever selected by the high priest? Yes, he was. You guys remember John the Baptist? Who was John the Baptist's father? Zechariah, the high priest at the time. And, and if, if he was, if John the Baptist's dad was the high priest, who was in line to be the next high priest? It was John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, it was, it was in the lineage of the high priest that John the Baptist really, realistically and prophetically spoke when he saw Jesus walking down the shore on the banks of the Jordan River. Do you guys remember what he said? In John 1.29, he said this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I just get goosebumps preaching this. Jesus was selected by the high priest. He was born in Bethlehem. But then remember we talked about how the lamb was then tied up at the entrance to the the temple for four days for all to inspect. What happens during what we call the Passion Week? Jesus spent four days teaching and preaching in, in Jerusalem and in the temple. Good job, Brian. Ooh, this, is, this is really getting me. He was inspected by the people. The crowds would listen to him preach. He was scrutinized by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were looking for, they were looking for anything, any reason to point out flaw in him. I mean, they were going over Jesus up one side and down the other with a fine-tooth comb, looking, the Bible even says, to trap him, to find some sort of fault in him. And then how about during the trial of Jesus, the, the sham of a, of a trial? Uh, he was taken and, and, and uh, inspected by the Jewish high council. He was even taken to King Herod. That was like, I don't see any problem with him. And then finally, back to Pontius Pilate. Look at Luke 23, 13. Why don't you turn there for just a second? Go all the way over to the New Testament and and turn to Luke chapter 23. I want you to see this. Verse 13 says this, Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders among the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion, verse 15, and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. And then Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, records one interesting detail. 
Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. Easter is coming up next week where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This week, and what, what people coming up on Friday call Good Friday, memorialize the crucifixion of Jesus, where we broke the law, but He pays the price. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible talks about how we all, like sheep, went astray, but we break the law and Jesus, out of his great love for us, pays the penalty. The blood of Jesus is remarkable. It is incredible. Check this out. Remember in the book of Genesis um, where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, right? And, and Isaac is going up with a bundle of sticks uh, on his shoulder up to Mount Moriah, and which today we know as the place of the skull or Golgotha, that part of Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified thousands of years before Abraham took his son up there to sacrifice. And just before he plunged the knife into his son's chest, the Lord said, whoa, wait, wait. I'm not ready for a man to pay for anyone's sins. And then it was a test of Abraham's faith. And God told Abraham, hey, look over there. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham sacrificed that ram. And the blood of that one ram was enough to pay for that boy's sins. Look at the progressive revelation of the power of the blood. Fast forward to the Exodus. And God gives the instructions to take a pure and spotless lamb and to sacrifice this lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and to put it over the door frame of the house. Now, did the blood cover only the person who applied the blood? The blood was powerful enough to cover the entire household the people, the family that lived in that household, right? Then we fast forward to Jesus' day where the high priest would select the Passover lamb and he would sit at the, the, the lamb would be tied at the entrance to the temple for four days and if it was found to be without spot or blemish, the high priest would say, worthy is the lamb and then the other priest would sacrifice that lamb and that lamb called the Day of Atonement, when that lamb's blood was shed, it would be, the blood would be powerful enough to cover the sins or atone for the sins of an entire nation. Look at the progressive revelation of the blood. And then comes Jesus. And with his sacrifice, the shedding of his blood on the cross, can y'all even believe it? That it was, his blood was powerful and unique and special enough to pay for the sins of an entire world. 
And not only for an entire world in that one moment, but his blood was so powerful and so precious that it would reach backwards in time in the same way that his shed blood shed 2,000 years ago reaches forward in time to us today. That's good, Brian. An interesting fact about the Passover. There were certain festivals that God commanded the nation of Israel to celebrate. And he also gave very specific dates on when to have those festivals, those celebrations. Did you know that Passover, listen to this, y'all. <laughs> I got to come down here and tell you. Passover is the only festival commanded by the Lord that he allowed for a makeup date. You can look at this in the Old Testament. Read about it. It says that this is the date on which Passover is to be celebrated each and every year, and you're not to miss it at all. You got to hit this date right on the, on the specific date, and you got to do these exact things, or else the Bible says you're literally cut off from the community of Israel. You've got to hit this date on this festival. But if you miss this festival, I'll give you a makeup date. One month later, you can celebrate it. Do you know what God is saying in that festival? He's saying that it's never too late to ask for the shed blood of Jesus to be applied to the doorpost of your life. 